Hi everybody, uh, we're here today. We're gonna talk about a, a, a distinction in psychological theory um, about the, there's a difference between a psychology of possession and a psychology of use. And um, stick with us if you don't know what we're talking about, we'll, we'll, we'll tell you straight away. Can you, wanna... you talk a little bit about psychology of possession, what that looks like? I would rather talk about psychology of use. Oh, so you want me to do it? Okay. Yeah, I want you to talk about the the not so good one. I want to it's talk not that it's. it's <laughs> I, I want to be clear. You know, sometimes we think of these things as being bad or good, and I think it's much more about being complete or incomplete. Complete. Um, so what we've got right now, let's say, particular. This is certainly true in the United States. We've got a uh, a very medicalized approach to mental health. So we, um, it's highly diagnostic. Um, we look to medications as a primary, if not, um, even if sometimes not even just primary, but like the only method uh, of treating uh, uh, psychological concerns or conditions. And it's not so much, we're, we're not like anti-medication or something like that. We're not anti, uh, like we don't hate doctors. We have a psych, we have a psychiatrist that we refer to. It's, it's nothing like that. But there is a way of thinking about um, mental health and mental health problems within the medical community. It's very focused on possession. Like, what do I have? I have depression. I have anxiety. I have anger problems. Like, oh, I almost like I have the flu. Yeah, I, and, I possess it and there's nothing I can do about it. It's a personality trait. And we know that some people do make that in their entire personality. Yeah, yeah. And there's, um, again, it's not so much that that is wholly incorrect or terrible or awful or whatever. But the problem is that, that because that is so out in front and that is so mainstream, that is so the status quo um, that we've got right now in the mental health field, uh, there, there's this other side of psychological functioning that gets ignored. Um, and that's psychology of use. So maybe you can tell us what that looks like. Yeah, and it, you're right. It's not bad, the psychology of possession. That's kind of, at least that's how I, I was raised. I have this, I have that. Therefore, there's nothing I can do about it. So don't make me kind of vibe. But the psychology of use, that was what was so refreshing about Adlerian psychology is because it's so empowering. It's like, it's yes, it's important what you were born with, but we're not like at the mercy of some genetics or some ideological trauma right like we mm -hmm. we get to decide what we do with it what we do and what we make of it and that's super empowering and that's what the psychology of use is it's what do you have which is important but not as important as what you do with it like it is important that you went through that we all went through covid what did you do with it what did you do with it like that's the psychology of use um yeah, I like to, you know, I like to keep it simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think that that's a, a really nice way of saying it. Um, that, yeah, it's not like a, it's not deterministic. Like, oh, I have, I, I have depression, and therefore it's just like this is oh, just wow. something like that's it, you know. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna be depressed, and that's okay. Do I think that there are, um, you know. Is it is it possible that there are, you know, genetic and biological factors? I mean, we've got science to back some of this stuff up, right? Like trait neuroticism is a thing. Um, and okay, so so that's there. And, and maybe to some degree that is, um, and maybe even to a great, to a, a rather large extent, that's genetically influenced. And that can be but, okay. Like, that's okay. Like, our, maybe our children aren't blank slates, which is okay. Like, I kind of feel uncomfortable with that, but also I like that because it's super empowering. It's like, okay, it's not necessarily my fault that this is happening, but what are we going to do with it? Yeah. I mean, there's, cause there's one more, there's more than one way to make use of, 
uh, neuroticism, and I'm speaking like in terms of big five personality, personality inventory, I'm not talking like the old, kind of old-fangled way of talking about neuroticism. Um, that's like how, how prone you are to, um, I don't like this term, but negative emotion thing, you know, uncomfortable, what Paul Rasmussen would call compelling emotion. How prone are you to that? There are genetic and uh, personality factors that influence that, but there's more than one way to. There's more than one thing that we can do with with that. I mean, you can turn that into, I'm I'm going to be hopeless and lie around in bed all day and retreat from the challenges of life, or we can uh, write a really sad poem, you know, uh, or a great song, or create a great piece of artwork, or empathize with somebody else who's having a hard time, or I mean, there's just an almost endless list of possibilities of what we can do with trait neuroticism. Uh, the, only, uh, the other thing that I would add to this uh, uh, in terms of psychology of use is that it is also, we, we also need to be aware that, that our mental health symptoms themselves are useful. Like, uh, feel, uh, this is Paul Rasmussen, feelings are not diseases. Anxiety is not a disease. It is something that, our, that has helped our species to survive for a very, very long time. Oh my God, this cliff is so high. Yeah, that's I don't right. Want, I don't want to die. We, yeah. we have to have a, an emotion <laughs> that compels us to be, vig, to be vigilant, to scan and uh, to scan our environment for threats, to internally and physiologically prepare for those threats. Uh, we have to have that. And so to cast that, to, to say, oh, it is unpleasant and therefore it is an illness, um, this is this is very problematic and misses this huge reality of like oh no there's there's psychological usefulness there's survival usefulness um, in, in in these symptoms um, there is usefulness in losing your temper there is usefulness in being depressed there is usefulness in exhibiting post traumatic symptoms there is I mean uh, I could you know go through the entire our entire diagnostic manual and say oh do, don't you see how this can be useful and this is useful and this is useful again and again and again so yeah. my thinking this is not about I'm just thinking about my mom you know like she was diagnosed with MS when I was a baby and it destroys your body and she could have decided like, this is the way that I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be depressed. She would have every reason to be depressed and angry. Uh, but instead, she decided, no, I'm going to empower others. I'm going to take this risky stem cell treatment in another country because the U.S. doesn't approve of these things. And then I'm going to support other people while I do that. And mm -hmm. that's when she's made friends and connections. And, like, she has used that in a way that I, I don't know that I would have had the courage to do. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Well, and can we, so can we talk about this, I would say, in, particularly in relation to uh, Alfred Adler identified these three tasks of life, uh, because I think that this is where a lot of things, like in, in essence, our feelings, our emotions or our symptoms can move us towards actually attending to these challenges or, and, and that's what he would call the useful side of life, or they can we can kind of retreat from these challenges, and that's what he would call the useless side of life. So um, can we talk about these three life tasks just really yeah, briefly? Yeah, um, so uh, he identified three tasks of life. These are unavoidable. These are uh, put on us by nature, not by a power hierarchy, not by uh, a government. No, these are true for everybody who's ever lived. Um, the first is work, and that's just, look, you can't, um, there's some things in life that have to be done. And a good example of this is like, it's not so much about a career. It's like, if you eat off of a plate, let's say I have mac and cheese, right? If I eat off that plate, here, here's the reality of life. I either need to wash the damn thing, 
or I don't have a clean plate. Like that's, and it's not because somebody's telling me that I have to do it. It's not, this is not capitalism foisting this upon me saying, oh, you must have this career and makes X amount of dollars or something. This is nature saying, look, if you eat off of a dish, it must be washed or else it will not be clean. So there are certain things that just have to be done. And let's say that particularly within the context of a community, you simply cannot be a mooch. You can't just lay around and not contribute and expect a community to to be endeared to you. Um, we have to find a way to contribute. So that's that. A second task is this is it's society or sometimes folks talk about it in terms of friendship. We have to find a way to get along with other people. And um, we'll, we'll quote Paul again. <laughs> Paul's just getting all kinds of quotes today. Love his, you. His, his basic thing here is like, don't be a dick. Don't be a like, dick. Like, just don't be a dick. We're going to make a t-shirt, so <laughs> be on the lookout. She, she's going to make a t-shirt. <laughs> she's going to have quite the, uh, the the don't be a dick merch line here. But I mean, it's really, there are like fundamental things that just are, they're conducive to getting along with other people. Basic respect. Um uh, not trying to control other people, not allowing other people to control you, uh, learning to speak kindly, learning to tolerate not getting your way, yes. uh, all the all these kinds of things. And we and, can. And on that note, we're going to talk about that has to do with like the social realities of life. We're going to mm, try and get you, mm, Paul, on one of these calls. Yeah, we'll to talk we'll, about the social. We realities. won't have to quote him. We'll just let him talk let for him himself. Talk. So, uh, so there's that. And then uh, the last task here is. Um, is sex and, and love. And sometimes uh, I think the word that kind of, as I've read Adler, that trickles down is, is intimacy. intimacy. That it's not just about generally get along, getting along with people. We have, to have, uh, we have to find a way to have intimate relationships. And yeah, maybe part of what that looks like is sex, but I'm talking about intimacy in a more broad way. Um, these things are unavoidable. They, you can't get away from that. They're they're fundamental to our nature. And so let's say that I have some like trait neuroticism. Let's say that I'm more anxious than the average person. And so I say, oh, well, I have anxiety. Well, does that anxiety compel me to, to work and to get along with other people and to uh, develop some intimate relationships with other people? Or does it cause me to say, oh, well, uh, work stresses me out. And what if I do it wrong? And what if I do it wrong? And so then I don't work. And I say, oh, what if they don't like me? And so then I don't engage with people and I don't get along with them. And I say, oh, well, what if somebody rejects me? And now I pull away from the task of intimacy. This is the distinction. It's not so much, I don't have to do that with anxiety. I can do all kinds of things with anxiety. I can do all kinds of things with depression and moving towards those tasks and attending to them rather than with, than uh, pulling away and withdrawing from them. That's That's a real distinction. Beautifully said. You don't want to add anything? I mean, I was going to interrupt like two times, but I didn't want to interrupt. Oh, then I, I, I just get too long-winded. Well, I've been interrupting a lot. I'm trying not to do that. <laughs> <laughs> just like karate chop you. Like, you're, you're working on the social task? Well, see, I need to all see. This is an example. <laughs> She's trying to work on the social task by not interrupting. Now, now it's my turn. I need to work on it by maybe being a little bit less long-winded and creating a little more space. I know. I know. I know things. You know, but this is just <laughs> your, my... Your face. <laughs> This, this is just my personality. You don't understand. This is it's just uh, it's just who I am. I, I just I have a certain personality, yeah. uh, and this is what it is. I just talk and talk and talk and talk, and there's no room for anybody else. Okay. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. This is uh, it, it not a reasonable. You. Yeah, it, <laughs> it just floats around and then descends upon me. This is um, maybe the, just on on that point. People often uh, use this when they talk about anger. 
they'll, they'll talk about, the, oh, my anger uh, got the better of me, as though anger is something that exists outside of me and then comes and infects me. And, oh, no, I have anger because I sniffed it in. I sniffed in the germ. What's interesting is as soon as I mentioned the relationship between anger and that it's like self-respect trying to like come up, they're like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, you're right. Like, no, I want to claim that. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's virtuous. Yeah, that's. But you know, it's it's not that anger happens to us or that it descends upon us or that we get infected with it like a germ. We call upon anger to use it. And I, I'm, I'm not saying consciously. I'm not saying, oh, I I need to get angry right now. But we that is in essence what's happening. I'm calling upon it in order to. And this is put Erasmus and again to remove uh, to remove an obstacle that stands between me and something that I want and feel entitled to. Um, and there's all, oh, we. At some point, we've got to talk with them about anger management, and we'll we'll do a whole video on that. But basically, if we could have you take away, well, let me ask you, if we could have folks take away one thing from this video, what would we want them to take away? And we're making this distinction between possession and use. That while this is just me, perhaps, but while it is important what you have, what your symptoms are, what you're going through, traumas, experiences, whatever it is, yes, that is important. But what is more important is what you do with it, how you use it. Whether it like whether you were born without appendages, like your legs or something, like you get to decide what to do with that. Yes, you could just commiserate your whole life and be sad, and I don't know what else you would do because I do have my legs, so I can't really relate. But in general, like you could do something good with that, or you could not. Um, so it's more important what you do with something, which I think is super empowering, and it gives us personal responsibility about like who we're going to be, like our character, and how we're going to relate to others. I think that's really empowering. That's my takeaway. It's, I mean, I don't have anything to add. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for sticking with us, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much.